Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Could, could there be connections between weird sky sounds and human disappearances? Why are so many bridges haunted? How are Bigfoot and UFOs connected? You know, it's funny, I actually had that question myself last week, but we didn't get a chance to, to get at it. So welcome to the 749th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those wide-ranging questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. So today, uh, we bring you an open line show to answer any and all questions about any areas of the supernatural, or natural, whichever. Um, we're joined by our, our most popular guest co-host, that's Shane Searway, and uh, you can call us today, 401-766-1240, from anywhere in the United States, or the world, really, um, as well as, uh, you know, you can... You can email us as well and get in touch via Facebook message if you don't want to have your, your voice broadcast over the airwaves. So, Shane, welcome back. Hey, my favorite place to be. I love love it. Yeah, it's well, great. a compliment we can live with. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I guess we can begin with, with emails or... Well, let us begin. Actually, uh, we have so much that came in on Facebook. Uh, we're going to start with that. As a matter of fact, we'll start with the most recent uh, ones and we'll work our way backward. Which is the uh, most recent? Uh, this would be... Uh, the one from Sarah from... Oh, Sarah from Question Mark. Where Sarah's from. Yes. So sh- Sarah from Question Mark writes to us, uh, Have you or Ben ever tried um, controlled or scientific remote viewing of a paranormal universe? Uh, or a parallel universe, I'm sorry. Uh, if not, would you? Why slash why not? All right, well, I'll let you fellas uh, get into that. But just uh, at, the, at the risk of... Uh, I don't want to give away too much about my next book, which just went to the publisher and will be out next year, but uh, there are whole chapters on things like this. Remote viewing, for those who don't know, is uh, literally... You want to... Anybody want to define it? No, go ahead. All right. (laughs) Okay. Remote viewing is when you are in one place and you uh, supposedly psychically or paranormally will see uh, see somewhere else. Uh, I suppose you could extend it to remote hearing and things of this kind. And it was actually used in Project Stargate and uh, other uh, government programs in response to Soviet programs from the 1950s and 60s, which were trying to do precisely that uh, in a military application. Uh, there was uh, there were attempts to certain not only see enemy positions, but uh, there were experiments about uh, detonating ordnance, uh, things of this kind. So that's what remote viewing is. Now we talk about parallel universes. Uh, I, I don't know, Sarah, if this is precisely the, re- the way I would word this question. We, at least our view, is that you're already in parallel universes. In, in the new book, I use the term facets, facets of ourselves, parallel lives uh, in our current life that we're conscious of right now, listening to the show. Uh, all these facets are, are make up our subconscious, or at least are part of our subconscious. That's my way I look at it anyway. And uh, <clears throat> vice versa, when we're living a parallel life in some universe other than this one, uh, this life would be a facet, a subconscious facet, at least. Uh, that, that's perhaps an oversimplification, but that's the way I think that it works. So, <clears throat> that said, uh, I think we have to be very careful of, with communications with anything other than, you know, each other here. Uh, but that's, uh, that said, uh, I relate several cases in the book where I simply, and th- these are mostly from the distant past, where I would simply experiment by, by getting into a meditative state 
when somebody had a ghost problem and then communicating, I believe, with things that were not by any means ghosts but were neighbors from parallel realities. Uh, one even started in a dream. I happened to be in Sedona, Arizona, if that's, that's appropriate, right? And a hotel, and I woke up, and, and the experience continued. These are things I've never written about before, but, uh, you know, in a few years I'm going to be 70 years old, so I, I suppose I, I, I really feel that I have to write these things down and not wait, because who knows. But, um, so I guess the answer was a qualified yes. I don't deliberately try and do that, uh, because I think in dreams as well, we can be experiencing parallel realities. Now, Ben and I, when Ben was growing up, we would, there were times we would share dreams, and like he'd start the story and I'd finish it, which kind of was it was kind of cool, and that kind of thing. So I know, it, I mean, I, I, so the answer is kind of a yes and no. Uh, I have, I believe, kind of done that, but I don't set out to deliberately do it. I don't know. What do you fellas think? I was going to say same thing, but you worded it so so great. That's why I'm glad you you took that one off the off the bat. But um, same here. I don't deliberately go after it, but it, it does it does happen to me quite often. Yeah. So okay. I yeah, will echo a chapter in the book. Ben, go ahead. I will echo that as well. So yeah, yeah essentially, I think I think the problem is how we define things. Because it's, you know, we don't, we have no idea what we're doing ourselves most of the time. We have an idea, basically, but we really don't know. You know? Yeah, well, so, well, the three of us are kind of cut from the same cloth, which I think they threw away after they cut the three of us out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't hear anybody else who talks like this, although people are starting to, so I guess that's good. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, just to amplify a bit on Sarah's point, there are people like the Stella Lansing, uh, who uh, is, uh, has translated, but she was from Massachusetts, and she lived several towns in Massachusetts, and she would uh, have the ability to uh, take, at least on the face of it, take a photo, and she would get strange worlds pretty much in there. She'd take a photo like of her backyard, and there'd be a couple of strange men standing there, um, and, and odd scenery sometimes in the background, and the Looking back on it today, some people say, well, she was taking photos of, of alternate dimensions or parallel worlds or something of that kind. And uh, assuming that it was a legitimate photography, um, there was also Ted Sirios, uh, whom I knew. And this is back in the 60s, and he would take photos. And they weren't generally interpreted as parallel worlds, but he would, he would think of uh, a scene or a person, look into the camera... And something like that would, would come out. Sometimes he didn't even need a camera. He would look at a pack of Polaroid film. I don't know if anybody remembers Polaroid film, oh, yeah. but um, and, and images would come out uh, on that on that film or uh, in, in that pack. So um, perhaps variations on a theme. But as Ben said, I think we, we really uh, just have to take it a step at a time. Shane, any thoughts? I just saw headlines. Um a few few days ago, it was an article that was posted somewhere, and I didn't read it, but I'm, I'm going to. Um, and this this question makes me want to read it even more. But it was basically saying that um, through science, we've now discovered how to take pictures of you know people around us, or you know parallel worlds, basically. Mm. And they had a couple pictures of of supposedly what they were capturing. And there were different entities, uh, you know, around. I haven't seen that either. Yeah, wow. I'm going to find it, and I'll, I'll send it to you, yeah, if, if, if it, unless it's... Yeah, no, we'll, we'll put it on Facebook so everybody can see yeah, it. Yeah, unless it's some, you know, there's so much fake stuff out there. But this one looked like some type of legitimate yeah. thing, so... Ben, any thoughts on it? Um, I mean, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is digital imagery. It's, 
There was, a, there was a theory that was developed by a Soviet filmmaker. I can't remember if it was Sergei Eisenstein or, or somebody. He had this this theory that the the camera eye or the camera lens was the perfect eye. It was more perfect than the human eye, mostly because it could it could capture. I think he more meant an artistic sense, but but also in it, the camera can pick up things that we don't see normally. Right, right. So one of his big things was montage. Which is essentially, you know, just what how we got our modern modern editing techniques for film and TV. So, you know, cut, cutting together different things which seemingly have no relation, your mind will develop a relationship around it. So he would do like I don't know, like a short film, taking taking short little like five second clips or or of of like buildings and then cut them together because we would see the buildings in a different way. Buildings we see normally. If you take a picture of it from a certain angle, or you know, take a, take a video of it from a certain angle, you'll you'll see it in a different way. So that was his his idea that you know the kino glass is is more perfect than the human eye, and I think this is probably taking it one step further, and probably messing with you know the light spectrum. Yep. Yeah. And and you know we can only see so much. I mean, we had Andy Kidd on the show not too long ago talking about. You know the psych, the psychology, and you know the neural processes of vision, and that I remember one thing that really stuck with me was you know you can all you're only twenty percent of the population of the world has true depth perception. Everyone else just doesn't. You see like as far as like you stick out your arm and hold your thumb and stare at your thumb. That's about as as far as you can see that where you know how deep that is. The rest is just sort of like you know. You can sort of get some sort of depth and whatever just by guessing, or your brain just adding depth to it. So it's so taking a camera so that it can see, you know, light spectrum beyond what we can see. I don't think that's far out of the realm of possibility. I just I think that the way the image is interpreted digitally might be the issue. Yeah, I think you've really stumbled on something important there, Ben. Uh, the camera lens. I'm thinking back to when I was in the military and and doing photography and stuff like that uh, it was not digital it was ordinary film media things of this kind uh, tri-x film that sort of thing yeah and uh, 35 millimeter SLRs and uh, it was results would be different so you'd get but you still would get light spectra that you wouldn't see ordinarily and with the digital media today you get that but it also will interpret very often what it sees. Plus you can get artifacts, like artifacts, bits, of, bits yeah. of corrupted data in yeah. there. Like you never so really it know. it takes care and, and uh, uh, good sense when you're looking at these. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's, outside, like I said, I don't think yeah. it's outside of our own possibility. I, I just think keeping keeping a, an eye on it, pardon the pun, is is probably, like, the best, the best course of action rather yeah. than, you know, so it's a big yes and no to Sarah's question. Back <laughs> in 90, 1999, I... I Got, I was real strong on a, on a theory that I had with um, light spectrums and, and, and everything and manipulation and also energies and stuff. That that started from the fact that I realized, you know, long ago, even before that, that, you know, all these active areas had rivers and streams and stuff. So I, I believe that uh, these rivers and streams were manipulating light frequencies and energies and frequencies of, of sorts. Um, allowing things to kind of converge, you know, with us and... and um, <clears throat> Excuse me. So we by by the year 2003, my team started uh, taking uh, a type of reflective type photography that would would um, bend or manipulate light frequencies and change them 
to make them visible. So we started getting images of all kinds of entities, like alien being-looking things, you know, human-looking things. One that looks like a, a, a Sasquatch with a really domed head, and um, you can even see his teeth, you know. Um, and, and we would get them constantly, you know, and just by changing the... By like imperfect materials like glasses or mirrors that were not perfect, um, when when the flash of the light would hit it, it would it would change. What or, or actually sometimes we get them without the flash, and it would just for whatever reason would change the 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 light that was hitting it, change its frequency or whatever, or bring it into our visual light spectrum or at least the camera's visual light spectrum, and we we're getting images of, of things clear. Like I mean, there's no mistaking. Hmm. It wasn't pareidolia. It, it was definitely clear images of, of weird different things. It's like a wow. prism almost. You know, you're kind of divvying up the lights or the, the light spectrum. Yep. There's, um, I forget his name. Forgive me. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to guess. Say it unless I say the. I don't want to say the wrong name. But he he's actually been on some shows recently. I think he might have been coast to coast. But we we communicated. I show him, I showed him my photos, and he he actually came to me and said, "Hey, look, we got contact or whatever." And he showed me his photos, and and uh, they were they were good. I, I think mine are better, um, more clear. We have different techniques, and the, what he does is he takes a water bottle, and he holds it up to, towards the sun, and he has this piece of black I think it's like a piece of black metal that's bent and he he lets the light um, from the sun rays go through the water and he takes pictures of the black the reflection on the black object and he, he's gotten alien and other you know um, beings he's got one that was really really cool I think it's probably his best one if I'm thinking the right person um Anyways, I, 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 but he, uh, he, you know, so he's been on. He's gotten a lot of attention for his photos. And yeah. A lot of them are like, mm, you know, yeah. you, it's like looking at the clouds. You know, you can make make whatever you want out of it. But, um, but still, same same type of idea. We're changing the 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 light, you know, frequency or whatever. We're manipulating the light in some way to make it visual, to make things that are out there more visible. Same thing with the Santilli telescope. You know. Yes. I was just thinking that. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, picks up things in the sky. Yeah. Uh, although it's it's controversial. Yes, it is. But but on on the next case, uh, I'm thinking maybe Pennsylvania. Let's uh, maybe let, let's experiment a little bit with that. Yes. See what happens? You know. Definitely. Yeah. Good. It's a deal. All right. Okay. Thank you, Sarah, for the excellent question. Um, yeah. Let's move on to. We have a question from Nick in Montreal, Quebec. So Nick writes to us. Uh, well, it's, it's a well, technically a three-parter. Um, uh, Nick writes to us. We'll go. We'll go through the first part and then take it bit by bit. Uh, is there a historical paranormal case uh, you would have loved to have been able to investigate? If so, how would you have tackled it? That's an interesting question. I guess uh, you first, Father. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this only this only came in. Uh, I think yesterday. So I. Uh, really didn't have a chance to think about it. However, I would love to have been in Rendlesham Forest, because we were in Rendlesham Forest, but not in December 1980. You weren't even born then. Um, Shane, you were probably a little nipper at that time. Hmm. But uh, I would love to have been there and seen the uh, chaotic as it was, the uh, UFO alleged landings, uh, possible communications, uh, experiences of the U.S. Air Force personnel, uh, particularly the security personnel and the high-ranking officers who were witness to these things. 
uh, which are it's probably uh, has been known as Britain's Roswell and is uh, probably one of the most uh, significant cases. Uh, our particular approach to Rendlesham has always been that it was that was the tip of an iceberg. It was it's a flap area, and sure enough, when we were there, uh, we were able to interview many many people who. Uh, had other experiences more recently and have also seen lights. We got weird pictures there ourselves, uh, all sorts of strange things. So it's, it's a flap area as far as we uh, can see. Uh, so I'd like to have been there. I would like to have been involved in the Amityville case, which I almost was. I would have been were it not for my seminary schedule. But uh, Lorraine, I have to dig out those letters. Lorraine Warren wrote me letters during the Amityville case. And uh, I, get, I have to dig those out of the files. I have a whole room full of files that, that I, I'm sorry to say some of them are rather disorganized, mm-hmm. so I have to get in there. I'm going to be doing that uh, before the end of the year. So I, I would like to, you know, there's, there's so much, particularly the famous case, there's so much misinformation, misinterpretation, things of this kind that, that go on. And I saw that in, in a famous case I was involved with, which was the, the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 74. Uh, for example, I had an Eastern Orthodox prayer book that I had with me. I was a seminary student at the time. And it had the, the Russian cross on it, which has three bars, not just one. So people think it's a little weird if they don't know what it is. And on one side of the page was written uh, in the Cyrillic alphabet, in the Slavonic, church Slavonic language. On the other side was English. So somebody, either a reporter or a police officer, saw this book and made assumptions. You know how I'm always talking about assumptions. Marcy, the little girl, was into the occult. The book was written in Sanskrit, and it was a book on the occult. It was nothing of the kind. It was my prayer book, for crying out loud. So that got carried down the years in in urban folklore now. And and the first time it was straightened out was when Bill Hall wrote his excellent book, The World's Most Haunted House. And I uh, gave him pictures of that book, which I still have on my shelves. So... um, I'd like to have been involved in those cases and also in cases where people, the ones I was involved with, I wish the press had got it right. So, and there were, there were a lot of other cases. Like, what do you fellas think? I was going to say Amityville as well, um, but pre the Warrens. Yes. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Uh, you know, no offense of not being disrespectful to anybody. They yeah. just don't work in the way that I agree with. N- uh, nor, nor did I. That's why we <laughs> split up. Yeah. So, uh, but, but definitely, and I know that one's controversial too. Um, a lot of people saying that it wasn't, you know, wasn't true. Things didn't happen. But, um, but you know, th- there's a story for a reason, and um, and based on the, the storyline too, there was. If it was made up, the Lutzes would have had to have an understanding of of the mechanics because it, things that happen in that house um, will result in a, a parasite, you know, type of, type of situation. So there was there was ingredients there that you know that you know somebody that isn't informed about the paranormal wouldn't been able to throw in there, you yeah. know. Um, so there there must have been something to it. Um, but also the Bridgeport case that you did, I would have loved to have been there. I'd love to have had you there. With yeah. you, without the Warrens. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that good. It was just me and you. And, uh, we would have wrapped it up in a couple of hours. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, no, Before all the reporters got there and, and news it would be done. But um, And also the Enfield uh, poltergeist case over in England. In England, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought that that's very interesting. They had a lot of um, scientific type people there, all witnessed you know, some yeah. pretty crazy things. So um, I think those three, in in uh, good choices. Yeah, and any 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 popular UFO or alien uh, case as yeah. well. You know, those those always. I think we're involved in some cases now that other people would like to be involved. Oh, in. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, Ben. Well, 
Um, I have some some things I've always been interested in. I actually would have loved to been um, president like the Point Pleasant Mothman flap. Oh yes, that would that would have been really cool. Like yeah, especially definitely. seeing all the other. I would have focused more on the other phenomena than Mothman itself. Yes, mm-hmm. because I feel like there's so little known about that. Um, I also have a, a morbid fascination with ghost ships. Hmm. Like the Mary Celeste and all that. Yeah, I've, yeah. If I ever saw a ghost ship, I would be... First of all, deep water is terrifying to me, but it's also super fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I would love to... I have, like I said, morbid fascination. It's like it's like watching, watching a spider make a web. It scares the daylights out of me, <laughs> but I just I can't stop watching. So I would love to go aboard a, a ghost ship and investigate the heck out of it. And... You know, see see what I could see. Um, but definitely the Mothman Mothman flap uh, was is one of the things I would I would love to be present on, and or um, anything that has to do with um, specifically like the Yeti in um, like Nepal, mm. or even um, journeying out way into Australia and chasing some weird Aboriginal legends. That would be cool. If so I had an unlimited uh, budget. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you have a far more expensive uh, ambition than, than we do tra- travel-wise. <laughs> Although, yeah. I, I, I agree 100%. I'd love to do all those things. That, that ghost ships. Yeah. I'm telling you. Ghost well, ships. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the future lies ahead uh, beckoning uh, to us for inter- interesting experiences. Okay, excellent. Th- thank you for the great question. Oh, uh, there's more. There is more. There is more. Um, so, Nick continues... Um, and if I may ask another, I always enjoyed uh, past paranormal investigators like Peter Underwood and uh, Tony Cornell. Uh, they spent a lifetime investigating, trying to get some sort of solid proof, or at least an answer to the phenomena. Sadly, uh, they died not really knowing much more when they did when they started out. Uh, your par- paranormal universe theory seems to be more of an irrational of, of a rational approach. Excuse me, <clears throat> to what is going on. So the question is this. After years of investigating, do you all feel like you are getting closer to getting solid answers to what is going on, or is this something that we may never know? Well, uh, the people Nick mentions, uh, Peter Underwood uh, and Tony Cornell, were both British investigators from the uh, mid to late 20th centuries, uh, coming out of the golden age of British quote-unquote parapsychology after World War One. Uh, spiritualism really took off in the UK after World War One because so many people lost loved ones in the war, mm. and uh, people would be flocking to mediums, and there was a lot of fakery and all this kind of. Hence, th- why Harry Houdini appeared. Precisely, yes, and and uh, was outing all these mediums. Uh, Underwood was very interesting. I think he was very honest. Uh, he had a more conventional approach, as I recall. Uh, to the interpretation, but he had he had a lot of questions that were good. Tony Cornell was uh, more skeptical. He thought that uh, there were real paranormal phenomena, and uh, but that they were very rare, pretty much, and that there was a lot of fakery and this sort of thing, which he, he was right. So both the outstanding people, and they did spend a lifetime investigating. Uh, however, the, the I think that um, Cornell, as I recall, had some. S- Knowledge uh, of uh, what what he referred to as parallel dimensions, which is really not the same thing as parallel universes, strictly speaking, the viewpoint of physics. So th- there was an awareness of that. But but uh, Nick is right. They did. Uh, by the time they translated, they really hadn't found uh, too many answers. So have um, 
do we feel that we are finding answers? I mean, are, are we really finding answers, or are we self-satisfied idiots? <laughs> uh, Shane? I think we're getting closer, and, and uh, not all of us, because a lot of them are still operating... Um, you know, the old school way, you yeah. know, the same, just flip on any TV show about the subject and they're all operating the old school way. And, and so if, if you're going to keep going down that path, you're, you're going nowhere. Um, and so I think what we do is we're open to everything until we can disprove it. So we'll entertain every certain possibility until we can disprove, you know, that, that, uh, that category or whatever. But so by doing that, I think we've been able to connect some dots. Um, you know, there's there's investigators in the past that would go in and try to help people, and were successful sometimes, other times not. There's priests that do you know their their thing the same way, and um, doesn't always work, and most of the time it doesn't, um, or it doesn't sustain because it didn't have an effect on the person, and the things go, they go back to old thinking, and they reconnect with that entity that that was feeding off of them. So um, with with the dots set we've been able to connect and, and the way we go about helping our people with a hundred percent success rate tells me that we hit on something that others haven't so um I, I think that tells me that we are getting closer and so you know that's when, when you you know i've done i've helped thousands of people so without a fail that that's a pretty good indication that um there's a good understanding there so now we just got to keep going in that direction to try to break it down so that's that's what i've been doing to try to like you know understand every layer um of of different you know of all this but and i i think we are getting closer i don't know who these other two gentlemen are but um i try not to i've always had an interest since i was a little kid and all this stuff and i always um experimented with things and, and and try to learn about it but I, I i don't do a lot of reading from other investigators because i realized that um they weren't really you know learning or uncovering anything new they, and they were all doing it the same way so i said well there's got to be um a reason why they're not successful all the time so i did just went on my own thing you know and did, did my own thing and i think we we're we're heading in the right direction i think okay well that's a perfect time to take our bottom of the hour break uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host Shane Searway today, our open line show on WOON 1240 uh, AM and FM now uh, in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hey, music lovers, Frank and I are rolling again. I'm Dave Russell inviting you to Sunday with Sinatra from 10 a.m. to noon. Gee, what a catchy name. But more importantly, catch all of Frank's great ballads and swing numbers from his prime years. That covers a lot of territory, my friends, but on AM and FM are the only spots where you'll find two straight hours of Frank's incomparable music. You can actually understand the words, especially when Frank sings them. Come on in. The music's fine every Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. And welcome back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ON Radio, AM and FM, in Rhode Island here, uh, broadcasting from our studios in Woonsocket. And we have with us today our wonderful guest co-host, pop, most popular guest co-host, Shane Searway, for our open line show answering your questions about any areas of the paranormal. Our phone number, uh, we have done away with the 800 numbers, you know, as Legacy Technology, uh, 401-766-1240 from anywhere. And emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com if you'd like to uh, contact us that way. So let's get back to our questions now. Uh, we are continuing with questions from Nick in Montreal. Yes. And we have um, they're good questions, too. So 
uh, we were, I think it was Ben's turn to respond to, um, oh. are we making progress in paranormal research or are we uh, bumbling about uh, as uh, many have in the past? Well, I think, you know, um, the, the the way we approach the paranormal, as, as Shane said, is very different. Um, and I think because we expand upon the experience of it rather than, you know, just focusing on, on the phenomena itself, which I think is, is the main issue. I think the focus is, you know, brought out. You know, in, in most most investigating techniques that, that I've seen is they just, they focus in on the phenomena mm-hmm. and that's it, and they just ignore any sort of reason for it. They're like, alright, well, automatically, you know, they start off with basic assumptions. Alright, it's dead people. We know this. Or it's demons. We know this. We know this for a fact. We don't, but, you know, where they get their facts from, they can't verify any sources. They can't, like, you know, say definitively, all right, well, we know that this is, you know, great Uncle Norman, and he died from a from a horrible heart attack, or his wife poisoned him, or, or, or something, and we, we know he's he's mad. And he's here to, to just, just bust everything up and make, make everything terrible. But it's like, you don't know that. You have no idea. You know, I think... I think the fact that we, we approach this with a different philosophy of the paranormal, that we are participants in it, mm-hmm. I think that right there is a great is a gigantic milestone. And, you know, coupled with, you know, the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum physics and, you know, the great strides that that has made in the last decade alone, you know, and I think the problem with, like, pop paranormal research is it just it doesn't evolve. That's the big issue, and you know, the fact that no offense, Nick, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to point this out that you know the fact that you point to guys that died like decades ago, and nothing's changed since, really, in the pop paranormal world since you know Peter Underwood and, and Tony Cornell, and that you know it's it's been the same spiritualist stuff over and over again, which are like the you know the the physics in which we exist just doesn't support any of it, and you know the this like the the societal mindset just doesn't make any sense. You know, I've I've talked I've talked some very intelligent people that I've met that you know they they're you know they have degrees in like biology, masters and stuff like that, and like you know they but yet they somehow believe in you know oh they're, they're just spirits of dead people. It's like that that's that's just such a, a backwards notion that. It hasn't changed in over a hundred years for most people in like the the pop world. So when we step forward and say it could be multiple worlds, that's like a that's like a, a shocker, you know. I mean, well, it's, it's we're catching not the first. No, I'm not. No, that's not what I'm saying. Maybe we're we're the ones who are pushing it the most. Well, if you would allow me, I'm sorry. Yes. So we are pushing it quite a bit. Yes, and it is catching on, but it's still people carry their preconceived notions with them forever. And especially the modern world, because, you know, if you look at any sort of portion of our society, whether it's political, whether it's, you know, has to do with science or history or anything, people just entrench themselves in now. You know, they may say one thing, but they believe something entirely different. Like we, like, I've met, I've met people in various conferences who are like, oh yeah, I totally believe what you're saying. And then they'll just start talking about spiritualism all over again. So it's like, it's like, you can't, the pro- the the thing with us is since you're a disciplined scholar, father Shane here is just a very intelligent man. 
not to call people stupid, but what I'm saying, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is the way that we approach is very, very, very different than any sort of predecessor we had. I feel as if if we if we could bring Ed Lorraine Warren in here now that we, it, like and talk to them, I feel as if they would say everything else that ever, everyone else would say that's in the, in, in the ghost world. They would say the exact same things. And it's like, you know, they're the grandparents of modern paranormal research, but it's like, they'll, nothing's changed. Yeah. Except except the stuff that we've been doing. But we're not even investigating ghosts anymore, really. It's just evolved more than that. So I think the answer is far away, but we're leaps and bounds ahead of where we once were, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if ghosts were, that were haunting houses, were people that were died under bad circumstances and, and th- th- every house in the world would be haunted by now yeah you know uh, there's components and that's what everyone ignores they ignore they, they like Ben said um, they focus on the phenomena itself and they, they forget that or they just don't understand that there's components they just think oh well it's a ghost you know that's it, they died now they're walking around you know and and there's there's a reason why this interaction is allowed in what initiates and allows that interaction between us and the entity. Um, there's components there, and they, they just don't understand that. I and feel we, as... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm done. I'm pretty much done. Well, I said, I feel as if the... It's, it's like a Chinese finger trap. The more you struggle to try and mm-hmm. get your fingers out, you can't. So when you stop struggling and just accept it, and then you relax, it just falls right off. It's this. It's the same kind of thing, you know. We're not struggling for answers. We're not trying to find hard evidence that this is real. We're not trying to prove anything to anybody. What we're doing is just experiencing the phenomena, recording it, and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Sadly, we interpret it still, but you can't really escape that. Well, the the first thing we always say, or one of the first things, is we could be wrong too, you know. Uh, but. It, it's certainly the first day of school, but maybe we're a few hours into the first day of school. So that sort of thing. But I think that we interpret things according to our own points of view instead of from the point of view of the phenomena or the quote-unquote entity. Right? And that's where open-mindedness comes in. But open-mindedness, open-mindedness to the point where we um, are open to ideas that are not from our point of view. And we try and do that, and uh, I, as I hate to keep pushing the book, but I, I guess I, I do mean to push the book when it comes out next year, but <laughs> there are going to be things in there that, that, that people probably have never heard of before that happened to me, and they're just my interpretation of it. As I say, it could be wrong, but it, it, it builds on exactly what we've said here just now. So uh, we'll have to see. And, but there are things I've mentioned on the air in the past. So, Okay, but thank you, Nick, for the, for the very, very uh, interesting and uh, uh, deep questions. Uh, very, very good. Okay, so why don't we move on? Uh, we have um, Linda from Ocala, Florida. And if you'd want to sure. do that. Yes, so Linda writes to us. Um, I, was, I, I just read this one, too. This is weird that you pointed that out. Anyway, uh, so Linda writes to us, could two very weird phenomena, um, strange sky sounds and human disappearances, be connected? I've heard they are. Um, And could either one of them be connected to parasites as far as taking people? Well, that's a scary question. Um, (laughs) Just for some background, the sky sounds Linda refers to, uh, we've done several shows on this, uh, notably with Linda Moulton Howe, 
uh, are really weird. Uh, mm. There are sounds that seem to be coming not necessarily from the sky, but many are. Uh, there are many recordings of these that uh, I believe are legitimate. And you hear a, a sort of a, a booming sound or a, even a, a metallic sound. And of course, sometimes religious believers will jump on this aha, you know, the, the trumpet of Gabriel. I mean, but again, that, that's a very anthropomorphic or human approach to what this could be. So, uh, there, there is a, a phenomenon a long known, uh, known as the Taos hum, as in the city of Taos, New Mexico, where apparently it was first discovered. And it sounds like, kind of like a diesel truck, um, uh, idling, you know, uh, kind of far away, but you, you can't put your finger on it. Uh, we had listeners in uh, the Detroit area and the area of Windsor, Ontario, which are, of course are right across the river from each other, uh, back when we were on the CBS in Detroit uh, up until 2014. And they were always writing and saying, we have heard strange sounds uh, like that uh, in the whole area. And nobody can, neither the Canadian or American authorities could put their finger on where it was coming from. The interesting point was that we think it was infrasound perhaps mm. coming from an old power plant that was on an island in the river there uh, and so we think that might be a possibility Shane Eno who for some reason is not a relative uh, who runs the Paranormal Institute of Denmark a friend of ours pointed out that when they would there was a certain period during the year when, when they would they would uh, uh, service some of the power plants in Den- northern Denmark and the the wind would turn some of the fans and all these paranormal phenomena would take place. But again, uh, the old uh, idea of infrasound, very low frequency sound that we cannot hear uh, and at a certain, it was 18 something megahertz, but maybe you know you can correct me on this, uh, 18.43 megahertz where the human eyeball starts to vibrate and you can't hear the sound, but it will you, you start to see things because the human eyeball simply starts to vibrate at that at that frequency. So, uh, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Okay. I'll see. You learn something. Yeah, you learn something new every day. Yeah. So, uh, so th- these are all possibilities. Uh, so th- that that's what we're talking about: uh, sky sounds and that sort of thing. And he- linking them with human disappearances is very interesting. There have been a lot. Shane, you, you, you're uh, very up on this. Uh, yeah. Uh, what are the disappearances? Uh, what, what's the situation with that in national parks and all that? But <clears throat> yeah, there's, it's, it's crazy. It's happened all around the world, but um, but in the United States, it's, it seems to be centered around national uh, forests. And mm. uh, um, Dave Pilates put together, he, he started like, you know, like police would when there's a serial killer, they, they start, they take a map of the city or whatever and they, they put pins where each murder took place to try to figure out where that murder is going to strike next. Well, he did that to the map of the United States and p- put pins of all these missing person cases and they're happening in clusters and all these clusters are at, right, right, like at natural forests, you know, so, um, all around the United States and actually one of, two of which are, are in our flap areas that we're investigating. One was in the Connecticut, western Connecticut area, one's in, in western, um, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And what's strange too is, is, uh, I find, you know, this is kind of, not to jump too far off topic, but it's, it's related. Um, a lot of these clusters also have military bases nearby, all but two. Um, all have military bases within the cluster area. We so. always find the military bases in the flap area. Yes. And so when you say national, let me just clarify, when you say national parks as opposed to national forests, so if you go to... Yeah, national parks, Mount, I'm sorry. Mount Rushmore, you're okay. Uh, I'm sorry, national, yeah, oh, national so parks. So national parks in yes. general, okay, including national parks. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, so, um, 
And what I find interesting about that too is why why only in those areas? You know, because there's there's huge forests out there that aren't national parks or whatever. And it, what I started to 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 think about is you know when when looking at this this strange these strange events. And we're talking people that are just going missing, just strange. And a lot of times they only have like you know, a couple scratches on them, but they're dead. You know, they're always found a lot of times in water, face up. Which usually, when you're found in water, you're face down. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, they had been dead for a couple months sometimes, but yet they've only been in the water for a week, um, but or or two. But what happens when you're in water for a long period of time, a dead body, your hair starts to fall out, your nails, fingernails, nails fall off. That's not the case with all these. They say that you know a lot of times these people are, are they died um, accidental drowning, um, but yet they were only in the water for two two weeks, but yet they they were dead you know for a couple months you know so it doesn't make sense. A three year old that was found 15 miles away over two big mountains that a three year old couldn't climb couldn't mm. even possibly climb. Um, it, it just a lot of strange things like that, and and so I, I thought like what's what's strange is the thing about national parks is. The only buddy, the only person that can investigate these crimes or whatever's taking place, the, these disappearances, is the government. It'd be the federal authority. It's the yeah. federal authority. So yeah. no outside uh, source can can go on there and investigate this. So it seems to be hmm. there's a cover up here. Um, whether um, the, one thing I know, I, I I can't help but I really feel strongly that the government or or the the national parks knows what's going on they won't provide a list of of people that went missing uh they say they don't keep a list which is ridiculous they that doesn't make any sense no they keep you go on their website and they have a list of of all the shows tv shows and movies that their uh, parks have been in yeah don't tell me they don't keep a list of missing people that went of missing of course yeah, yeah. Like that'd be more of a priority yeah, yeah from a law enforcement perspective that's a, that's basic yeah. So they said that you know we don't have a list, and then eventually through pushing and pushing and pushing, um, they finally said, okay, well if you want a, a list for this park, it'll be I forget like thirty-seven or forty-three thousand dollars somewhere in that vicinity. If you want a list of all of them, it was like one point seven million dollars. If you want a list of all the missing persons in all the parks, yeah. So they're, they're covering up something. They they know what's going on for sure. But as far as the um, could it be connected to parasites? That's another thing that I have to entertain because um, these people aren't being chopped up. You know, uh, the, these kids, these adults. I mean, there was a six foot two, two hundred forty pound, solid muscle uh, athlete, twenty five years old, went fishing, called his wife and said, "I'm being followed. Something's following me." And they found him like a couple weeks later dead, you know, and, and he had um, just scrapes and, you know, on him. Th- nothing major. Said he died of exposure, but he was an outdoorsman. Was, I mean, and, and the weather didn't make sense to die of exposure. Yeah. So um, just very bizarre. And another point with the missing person cases is if you die in, in, a, in the forest, it doesn't. it's not going to take long before vultures are going to be ripping you apart. It don't last long. No, not at all. And so, but they're 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 not found chewed up. You know, um, they're being placed in weird places where a lot of times, sometimes they're they're hard to find, but other times they're they're placed in in areas where you're sure to be found. They weren't there like a trailhead where hundreds of people have gone in and out searching for this person, you know, for weeks, and all of a sudden there's a, a new tree that's laid down in the middle of the the the, the trailhead, and the body's laid on top of it. You know, bit, hundreds of people have gone gone by this site. It's almost like someone saying, "Okay." Here's the body. Now go away. We don't want you here no more. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so it, it's 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 really bizarre to me. So it's either 
some some kind of terrestrial entity. I, I think possibly because a lot of times people that are brought back said they saw, or people that were with the person saw lights in the sky when before mm. this person went missing. So it could be extraterrestrial, um, and it also could be parasitic because why why take these people you know abduct them if they're not being raped, they're not being murdered. Oh, well, they're being murdered, but they're not being chopped up. Um, are they being taken and just, uh, you know, scared to death and scared, you know, just being mentally tortured to bring out that fear frequency that we know these parasites feed off of? And just until until the, the person can't take it anymore and they die, and then they just oh, throw them in the woods somewhere, you know? A lot of times they they find these people that, uh, it, oh, that's another thing. They can't be, be be. I don't believe that they're being held on land. I think they're being brought somewhere, either up or down or somewhere else, like uh, to to a parallel. I mean, to a different parallel, possibly. But a lot of times, when the pe- people are being found, they're found with broken bones, like they they fell a long distance, and you know, just were all broken up, all their bones smashed. But yet, there was nothing in the vicinity for them to have fallen off of. But yet, the 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 damage done from the fall um, is definitely what killed them. And there's nothing around for them to have fallen from, unless they were dropped from somewhere. Ben, that's weird. I actually never knew that. I I never really made the connection, or really ever thought about it that much. I always thought it was kind of weird, but I never really looked into it. That's that's worth. That's actually worth looking into. They found one kid. I, I think I mentioned on the show before, eight years old, and he was melted like wax onto a chain link fence. His body was just melted. Oh right yeah, into I remember it. that. Yeah. Wow. Well, because the question arises, what's the connection, if any, with sky sounds? Yes. Because that's Linda's question. I uh, mean, are sky sounds heard in the vicinity of these incidents? Either, even if they are, are they connected or not? I have to look into that. Are you familiar? What they used to call like around Lake Seneca. They were hearing these booms. And this is a long oh, time. New York. State. Yes, yeah. New York. Long time ago, and yeah. they, they named it Seneca Guns. And then all of a sudden, th- those noises started being heard more south. And I think th- they are having a lot of them happen in North Carolina now. I, th- I think. Well, I grew up in Connecticut, where you had the mo- the moodest noises, as they were called. But according to the University of Connecticut, and th- these were these were kind of like booms or almost like rock sounds. I, I don't mean like con- rock concert, but right, rocks right. like you know like stones. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the University of Connecticut came to the conclusion that this this was seismic essentially in origin. So, uh, yeah, which is a perfectly plausible explanation. There are a lot of a lot of odd little faults around this part of New England. The one in North Carolina, they actually started researching these noises and they looked at that, and and they, there was no seismic activity really far out into the Atlantic and then inland too. Um, huh. For a lot of times, where these noises are being heard, yeah. but they were actually they were actually seeing um, in the horizon like orange UFOs. A lot of times, when these bo- booms were happening, way uh-huh. out in, you know way out in the ocean, you know as far as you yeah. know, as you could see, they, there would be these orange UFOs. But uh, as for Linda's question, uh, very good question. Yes. I think we need to research that further yeah. to see what connections there be. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I've heard a little bit about that, but no one has been able to put their finger in it. But thank you, Linda, for the question. Uh, let's take a moment, and Shane, tell us about yourself and your website and, and what, what you're doing, because we know that already, because we work with you, <laughs> but other people might not. Yep, TrueRoast.com is my website. You can go there for my contact Im- information, um, email address, phone number, um, if, if you need to reach out to me or whatever. And um, as far as 
I do shows all the time, but I, I don't. I, I think I have some schedule. Can't think of it, but I'll be speaking at the uh, Greater New England UFO conference in Lemister, Mass. In was it November? Uh, October. Actually. October, yeah. and then in September we'll all be speaking at the. Um, the uh, actually UFO festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, we got that at the end, and we'll be uh, looking forward to that certainly. Uh, okay, I guess maybe we, if there's a brief one here, we might have. Time. Uh, there's, yeah. there are um, all the short ones always tend to be really long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, there's a vet from uh, Whitensville, Massachusetts. Okay, actually, there's Chuck from Midland, Australia. That, that's oh, okay. Really well, short. I guess we, I guess we go with that. Yeah, let's go, with, Chuck. go with Chuck from Midland, Australia, and uh, he writes to us. Is there a connection between bridges and ghosts? Uh, Australia has a lot of haunted bridges. Is this because people commit suicide on on or around bridges? Yeah, good question. Uh, Shane, you're from uh, northern New England. I think there are more bridges than southern New England. <laughs> <laughs> Simply, water. Rivers and streams, huge. you got a bridge, you got water underneath it. And... Um, Rivers and streams, all my legitimate active um, areas, not you know ones that have activity on a regular basis, like you know several times a week, not just once a month, but several times a week. Every single one of them had rivers and streams nearby. Well, it's like the stories of trolls underneath the bridges. Oh yes, mm. yeah. I think well, I think it might have something to do with how the, how the bridge is constructed and what it's constructed of, like the geology of it, like the kinds of, the kinds of stones that are used, if stones at all. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done a lot of work uh, specifically on bridges, but I know that uh, when there's water passing underneath, as opposed to roads or railroads, you're going to see activity because precisely, as you said, chain water. There was a well-known police psychic uh, here in the northern Rhode Island area who once told me, he says, it's funny you should talk about water because uh, when I am assisting with a cold case or something with the police, I will go and stand on a particular bridge down here I think the one on Hamlet Avenue uh, in Woonsocket, and he, and he would um, be able to pick more things up. Mm-hmm. Simply, because, and he said that you're right; it's got to be because of the water. So um, I think mm-hmm. that that's that's probably it. And of course, all sorts of legends have uh, resulted from these uh, these stories. The that, troll uh, bridge, yeah, or the trolls, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh, any further thoughts before we move to our announcements? Because. Um, Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank yeah, you, thank for, you for first of all, everyone, for uh, writing in. It's been uh, some very, very good questions. We have a, a really intelligent uh, group of listeners, I think, uh, particularly um, from uh, just about everywhere, and we appreciate our Australian listeners as well. Okay, let's um, move to our announcements then. Uh, what do we got? Oh, it's me. Okay, Shane, uh, okay, we already did that. We talked about yourself. So Wednesday, uh, well, this Wednesday, actually, which is the 11th, uh, we'll be at the Far Out Diner in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, at 6.30 p.m. to uh, join the Talking Saucers Meetup group. And so we won't be giving any sort of special presentation, uh, but we will hobnob with the uh, UFO experiencers and enthusiasts, and we'll certainly enjoy the great food at this UFO-themed diner. And uh, this evening is sponsored by Seacoast Saucers of New England. And I look forward to seeing a lot of people there. It's supposed to be well attended. On Saturday, July 21st, uh, Ben and I were scheduled to be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. However, this event is being rescheduled uh, because of circumstances beyond our control. 
so watch our Facebook page, the BehindTheParanormal.com site, and next week's show for the new date. It probably won't be too far in the future, maybe a week or, or certainly sometime next month, but the library is going to get back to us with final word on that, uh, hopefully tomorrow. So uh, we will do the program, but just not as scheduled on the 21st. Uh, the 2018 MUFON Symposium Mutual UFO Network takes place at the Crown Plaza Philadelphia in Cherry Hill, New Jersey on July 27th to 29th. Uh, ben and I are not speaking this year, but it's a great event, and it's rarely held on the East Coast, so check it out at MUFONSymposium.com. Okie doke, and on Labor Day weekend, on September 1st and 2nd, uh, we'll be at back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire, along with our shelves, uh, shelves along with ourselves, uh, we'll have Sheen with us, uh, Richard Dolan, uh, Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and many, many other uh, great friends of ours. Including Shane, of course. <laughs> I, I already said Shane. <laughs> right. I'm just uh, emphasizing the point. And Shane, featuring Shane. <laughs> And our subject on Saturday will be um, aliens and exorcisms. Why do possessed people report UFO experiences? And that's on. Uh, and then on Sunday we'll do our um, third annual on-location broadcast uh, from the Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and uh, the live audience. Uh, this evening or this event is a uh, great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis uh, Club Children's Charities in southern New Hampshire. And last year, it raised over $9,000. So you can find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. Then on Columbus Day weekend, on October 5th and 6th, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, Massachusetts. Uh, Not sure about our topic yet for that, but stay tuned. Uh, Certainly, um, all three of our panelists, including Shane, from our 10th anniversary show a few weeks ago, uh, will be speaking there as well, along with a number of other great presenters, and find out more at NewEnglandUFO.com. That will include, of course, Alexander Petikoff, uh, the guy with the classiest name in the paranormal, certainly, and uh, a lot of our uh, other friends who have worked with us. It should be a really great time. Uh, my next book, which I've mentioned <laughs> twice before on this show, Dancing Past the Graveyard, uh, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher. I'm not sure how soon it will be released, or even if that title will stay intact, uh, but we'll keep you posted on that. And as I say, it has a lot of uh, uh, personal experiences of mine from way back that deal with uh, certain things that we discussed earlier in the show. The only note you get back from the publisher is it needs to be alliterated more. Yeah, uh, well, we have, we have to have a private talk about uh, your problem with alliteration. I know, I, uh, <laughs> I I have a plethora of problems with alliteration. Um, so our 2016 book, uh, Behind the Paranormal: Everything You Know Is Wrong, is finally be- finally available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle and Apple iTunes, and that's available in stores as well. And you can get all of our books in print form as well. Uh, you can order them online at uh, either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com. We'll be happy to autograph them for you. And don't forget, you can always get them from Amazon if you don't feel like going over to our website. Now, Shane, a rumor has it that you're working on a book. What's uh, what's that about? <laughs> I've been working on a book for a long time. I know the feeling. So busy, so busy, but um, I got <laughs> I got to do it because I've been getting emails since, you know, 2000 uh, from people all around the world asking yeah. for a book and, and it just it's more and more and more frequent now you know so I, I got I got to get one out there you and Mark D'Antonio yeah got to get cooking on that yeah definitely. all right uh, speaking of cooking, uh, what's in the frying pan for next week, Ben? Oh, well, we're cooking up some good stuff for next week. Uh, we will have, on July 15th, 
we bring you the, your, the, the first show uh, we have ever done on the subject of channeling uh, with author Barry Strom. Yeah, I can't believe we've never covered that. Yeah, right? So anyway, uh, we'll uh, leave you this afternoon with a thought from American author and former Secretary of Health and Human Services, John W. Gardner. Uh, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities that are brilliantly disguised as insoluble problems. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Serway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. <laughs>